Welcome back to another episode of Shit I Should Have Read in School, the podcast where we go back and read those summer reading list books that we should have read in high school, but we're too busy coming up with AOL away messages instead. Woo! This week, we're taking a turn down another dystopian alley with Fahrenheit 451. Can't get away from him. Mm. On today's episode, we discuss the ways we numb ourselves like Mildred. I think we've all got a little Mildred in us. Some suggestions for comedians who think the world is becoming too PC. Let me tell you about an experience that I had. Wasn't this weird? Wasn't this funny? Have you ever had an experience like that? If you have, laugh at my joke. And the books that we would memorize to carry on their legacy. (laughs) Somebody else choose the Scarlet Letter. (laughs) So let me remind you of who we are. I am Lisa Marie. Just a little fun fact. I just started watching Parks and Rec. I know I'm a little late in life for this, but I have discovered that Leslie Nope will join CJ Craig as one of my favorite and unrealistic role models. (laughs) (laughs) Dropping a CJ Craig reference right away just makes me happy. I'm hoping our listeners- The holy grail. Yeah. West Wing for anyone who's not aware. She just Mm -hmm. is the utmost of what every person- Allison Janney, period. CJ Craig, period. Yeah. Uh, Mm -hmm. I'm Katie and just piggybacking off the Parks and Rec comment, I am currently holding open casting calls for the Burt Macklin to my Janet Snake hole. (laughs) (laughs) It sounds dirty guys, but it's really just, I want to find- the Andy to my April, the apple of my eye, the uh, somebody will eat off a frisbee with me. Those are some deep dive parts and references. And I'm Lauren, and much like everything else with this threesome, uh, I have never seen Parks and Rec, so no idea really what either of you are talking about. And we'll probably join this uh, party later, like years from now, and that's when I'll start telling everyone how great this show is, and they really need to watch it. Yeah. So our book as we said, is Fahrenheit 451. A little background on this book. It was written by an American author, Ray Bradbury, in 1953 at the height of the Cold War. So war was constantly like looming over people's heads. It was just something they just had to live with. This is a theme um, we're becoming very familiar with. And, and now it's just turning into the zombie apocalypse. Right? Very yes. excited about that. I don't think they made zombie plans like we did, though. Yeah. Um, <laughs> The book was also published during a time when it was becoming very normal for a TV to be in every American home. In the years since its release, it's been praised for its forward thinking on the future of technology. But in an interview in 2007, Ray Bradbury states that the book actually isn't about government censorship too much as it is about the response to TV culture. He says that they stuff you with so much useless information that you feel full. So basically he says that the book isn't actually about like the government control too much as it is about people thinking that like the TV is all they need. Okay. As a writer, he was probably cutting into his business. So, (laughs) (laughs) As a man who puts out, you know, his primary Mm -hmm. income is from a book medium, which isn't that far away from television. Yeah, he really is fighting his own battle there. And I kind of agree with that, too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So why don't you guys tell us what happens in this book? Well, uh, once again, we're in another dystopian world. It's a real big change of pace for us, guys. Yeah, there's not a lot of books written about utopian worlds, (laughs) I'm starting to realize. (laughs) Not classics, at least, that they force you to read in school, right? (laughs) Definition for classic, where it has to be somewhat distraught? I guess. I don't know. So again- You would want to read that book, I guess. Yeah. So in this dystopian world, uh, we're in a futuristic America where books are illegal. You get caught with them. Not only do you get arrested, but your house gets burned to the ground. Uh, Firefighters in this world actually create fires instead of putting them out. I think high school was probably a lot easier for those students, though. They wouldn't have to go back years later and read them. Yeah, no spark notes. (laughs) Burn your shit to the ground. Absolutely. (laughs) Um, So Katie and I, I, we kind of thought, like, there's, like, three acts to this book, right? So you're meeting our protagonist in Act 1. He's a firefighter, Guy Montag. He likes his job. He goes to work. 
He likes to make stuff burn. He likes fire. Uh, He's and not fighting fires. He's creating, creating fires. Yeah, they yeah. should have switched the term around, but that's just me. I'm I not think here. so too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He likes to watch stuff burn, literally. <laughs> he thought he was happy. He thought he liked his job until he's walking home from work one night and he runs into this 17-year-old girl in his neighborhood, Clarice, who is by all definitions in this society, weird. She likes talking a lot. She likes thought-provoking questions. She likes discussions, all things that make him very uncomfortable. Such a Pisces. (laughs) We never do confirm what her sign is. Pisces. (laughs) (laughs) But he finds himself, like, it kind of becomes a nightly ritual. And he finds himself, even though he's kind of uncomfortable with some of the questioning, he finds himself looking forward to and enjoying these interactions. Um, But it does make him kind of go home and realize that the connection he has with his wife is very superficial. Like they talk, but they don't actually ever really end up saying anything. The only substance mm. there is pretty much substance abuse. If I <laughs> maybe so. <laughs> yes, Mildred. Mildred, uh, much like the rest of the society, apparently has has a, a flavor for the pills, the sleeping I was pills. Say, if you tell me, you're numb. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. His wife, Mildred, she's, she's not into discussions. Uh, she's very much of this culture where all of her attention is given solely to distractions. So TV or radio, that's it. She doesn't want to have meaningful discussions with her husband. Who does, right? Um, oh. <laughs> <laughs> once again, Lisa Marie's like, guys, this is not married life. Marriage is not that bad, okay? <laughs> <laughs> we do make it sound terrible, don't we? We do. <laughs> and we had neither of us know. I mean, I'm learning what marriage is from books, so, you know, sue me. I don't know. They have some attainment so far very well. <laughs> Lisa Marie's making me feel better by dispelling all of these, um, stereotypes. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> but anyway. <laughs> Happy to help. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so it's been a couple nights and Montag actually hasn't seen Clarice and he's thinking that's weird, but one night on the job he shows up to this house and this house is just filled like floor to ceiling books books on books on books and the woman who lives there and owns all these books not only does she refuse to leave but she's like you can just burn me in this house with these books like they're willing they're worth dying for i see there's very much if uh beauty and the beast was a dystopian society (laughs) bell would go down with the library 100 Mm -hmm, yeah beast was like (laughs) we don't need this anymore she'd be like well, I'm not She'd sticking around a- in this world. Absolutely not. <laughs> She'd sing a song while she burns. Yeah, absolutely. Let it burn. Let, Let it, it burn. burn. <laughs> um, so that really shakes him. Like the fact that a woman was willing to die for her books and whatever was in these, like, these gosh darn books. But he actually, in the process of burning this house down, sneaks a book out with himself, takes it home. Naughty, naughty. He gets home and he just is like, you know, wifey, uh, Mildred, have you heard of, do you know that Clarice girl, that weirdo that I like talking to? (laughs) Do you know where she's at? I haven't seen her in a couple days. And she's like, oh yeah, she got hit by a speeding car and died. I thought Mildred would have more questions being like, what are you doing? Hang out with a 17 year old every, you know, morning, noon and night on your ways to work. But she didn't. She's got her TV and her radio. I was going to say, her parlor (laughs) friends are very, uh, (laughs) keeping her alive. Uh, So these two things like right on top of each other, just like compound and just really unravel his world uh, to the point where he literally cannot muster up the courage to go back into work. He's laying in bed. The book is secretly hidden under his pillow in bed. And his firefighter uh, chief, Beatty, notices that he misses the shift, comes to check in on him. Uh, But during their interaction, Beatty notices the book hidden under Montag's pillow and gives him a very thinly veiled threat. He's like, it happens. People naturally get curious about these books. Take 24 hours, and then once you've realized you're not missing out, hand it over. <laughs> Beware if you don't. Ironically, Beatty's kind of fighting fire with fire hair to play into the hey, fire. Hey, I see what you did there. You know, he's a little well-read himself. 
this beady character. He You're is. Like, hmm. Ironically, hypocritically, yeah. he's a well-read asshole. He's a walking contradiction, this man. Much yes. like the people <laughs> he hates so much. Genuinely. There's always one. There's always one. <laughs> uh, so Beatty basically gives him like a 24-hour like <laughs> grace period. Yes, genuinely. Uh, so he leaves. And then we find out that Montag has actually stolen a bunch of books throughout his job, Turns not out, just this one. Mr. Woke has been living in a little bit of a lucid dream state. Like, yeah. he's been dreaming about being woke, he's and now curious. he's finally woken up. Not enough to crack one of his books open, mind you. <laughs> just enough to hide him <laughs> in his air shaft. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So he's got, now he's got a deadline. He's got 24 hours to, like, ingest as much of this information as possible. Obviously, good old Mildred wants nothing to do with this shit. Imagine how easy Spark Notes would have been in this society. Oof, yeah. yeah. He really <laughs> to be like, here, babe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but he's like, I need, I need help. I've never really done this before. I've never really read before. And it makes him think of this retired English professor that he met in a park once, this, who he almost arrested and then for some reason let go. So he kept this guy's information to do what with, I don't know. I guess there's always been a, a, a subliminal part of him, clearly, that's been interested. I would say consciousness was always there. It yes. just, you know, it took a while to wake yeah, him it's up. It's creeping fully. out for the first time here. So he basically um, hunt, not hunts him down, but he finds Faber. He goes to his house and he's like, help me, dude, please. I'm, I'm ignorant. Um, and Faber's like, are you sure? Well, okay, but let's go one step further. Let's actually make copies of these books. They're getting burned. They're getting destroyed. A lot of these are the last versions of these books. Favor. Let's make some more. Faber's like, if we're going to make change, let's do it right. Yeah, I've been quiet long enough. If I'm going <laughs> to step out here, like, let's go. Let's like, go. Let's plant some books and some hey. firefighters and get that systemic change. Oh, my gosh. This is escalating quickly. <laughs> <laughs> Would you say it's getting hotter in here? Hey. <laughs> All right, Nelly, calm down. <laughs> um, so, but he's, he's like, okay, here's the game plan. You got to go back to work. You got to give, hand over this book that BD obviously saw and you got to play it cool, man. So pretend you read it. You're not into the material. Go back to life, life as usual, right? So Montag's like, okay, I can do that. Goes into work, hands over the book that BD would seen him with, tries to act normal. But I think Beatty knew at this point this was not his first uh, transgression. <laughs> I was going to say, Beatty seems like he's been watching Montag for a little yeah. while. Montag's been asking too many questions yeah. over the last few days. But Beatty's obviously onto him, and he starts actually baiting him by, again, quoting all of these like books and other literature to like prove that all of the knowledge from books is contradictory and therefore makes you unhappy and therefore not worth knowing, dude. Um, Montag is so close to breaking until, or he's so close to breaking and then a fire alarm goes off at the firehouse and it's like, oh, gotta go burn down someone's house again. Like, phew, right? Beatty, that cheeky bastard, Ooh. he knew the whole time. Color him surprised <laughs> when they pull up to whose house? Montag's house. Mildred walks out with a suitcase. She's like, yep, called you in, asshole. I'm outie, uh, and takes off. And Beatty literally hands the fire hose to Montag and goes, you you made your bed now burn it um so act three is literally him burning down his old life uh like i said find out he finds out that mildred and her friends are actually the ones who called him in that's that's a ultimate slap in the face i feel like i think mildred was like yeah, he's getting too like this is too much for me i, <laughs> I like my this is getting too much i it yeah. liked my you know workless existence yeah and, you know i'm out yeah i'm out um so montag he kind of does he can kind of gladly burns down his old house he's like you know what fuck this place anyways never never had any good memories from here anyways wasn't a good foundation to stand on hey. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> um but then 
BD's like, by the way, know about Faber, gonna go arrest his ass too. And Montag literally has this choice to make, like, do I... <laughs> Do I do something or do I let this happen? And he decides to make that uh, no no take backsies. He turns the <laughs> fire hose on uh, Beatty and burns him alive. Like, Kills him. There is no going back from a flamethrower murder. Yeah. There. So he, he's <laughs> yeah. living that fugitive life for sure now. It's hard to put that fire out once it's started. Go. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, now he's committed actual murder. Um, well, I mean, murder that the society cares about. Uh, so he's on the hunt. He's on the run. Manhunt. Huge manhunt out for him. The only place he knows to go is back to Faber's house. So he gets to Faber's house. He instructs Faber on how to throw off the scent, basically, so that they don't find Faber um, and come arrest him. And then he takes off until he gets to a river. Literally has to jump in to avoid being seen because there's this giant manhunt, helicopters, all the things trying it's very to find much him. Of the LA car chase, yes. Vibe. Everyone's Everybody's tuned watching in, yes. and like we're like, oh, just make it happen. Like, what's going to happen now? Yes, get Are they going to get away? Are they going to get away? <laughs> so he does. He floats down the river. He washes up on a bank, and he actually randomly ends up. How perfect is it that he ends say. up floating up, floating up to a? Seems a little coincidental that just across the river. Yep. Floats up to a, to a group of guys who a are also tag team, <laughs> tag team who are also ostracized from society for same kind of reasons. They've all read books, love they love they love the books. A lot of liberal arts majors here <laughs> that couldn't find another trade and just were like, well, I can memorize books. Yeah. Which, by the way, all three of us are liberal arts majors, so oh, we're, percent, yeah, yeah. we're not offending anyone in the liberal arts. <laughs> or maybe I think anybody are, with but... an English or communications major knows that. <laughs> knows uh, what we're yeah, talking we're about. So they're all sitting there discussing how, you know, books are living on in, in, in us because we've read them. Like, we are the books now. And then, um, personally, I'd like to be book five of the Harry Potter series. I'd memorize that one in a heartbeat. <laughs> Follow-up. Uh, we have a lot to discuss on the choice of book there. Ooh, <laughs> that's true. Yeah. Interesting. All right. We'll save that. Um, because then a bomb goes off, by the way. Everyone saw oh, that. Oh, yeah. By the way, right? remember the war that we were no. supposed to reference? And we referenced it because none of us realized it was happening during the book, let alone the people. There was a war happening the whole time. And then atom bomb goes off, levels the city. They're all fine because they're far enough out in, like, the wilderness, basically, that, like, you know, yep. they all survive. Yeah. But Shrug. Okay, looks like we got uh, ashes yeah. to build a new one. Yep. Sh Full shake, circle. Shake off the literal dust and uh, let's walk back. And let's Fire, which has once killed us, has also led us to redemption. Let us rebuild. End <laughs> <And> scene. End <laughs> scene. When we come back, we'll chat about Mildred versus Guy and who we identify with a bit more. Welcome back. So what I found interesting about this book was the character of Mildred mm -hmm. versus the character of Guy. So in a weird way that makes me hate myself a little bit, <laughs> I, I, I identify with Mildred. That is so shocking information. Much. I know. I'm blown but, away by that. But, like, in a way that's, like, cautionary tale, like, big sure. red flag, don't end up like Mildred. Um, <laughs> we all um, have a little Millie in us, I think. We I all guess, know a Mildred. Yeah. Don't yeah. be a Mildred. <laughs> yes, don't be. Because I have found Mildred to be, like, fascinating. She lives in her little parlor. Her parlor has just TVs on every wall, and she's mm -hmm. just immersed in her mass media culture where she does not have any interest in the world around her. Nope. I do find myself, like, I do find myself being like, I don't want to learn about the world around me because the world around me is very depressing. Yeah. And so I'm going to just immerse myself in distractions. That happens to me regularly. I 
like have to listen to a book before like to fall asleep yeah because I cannot be left alone with my thoughts in the 15 minutes that it takes me to fall asleep it's so, so it's funny you do that too. it's very jarring yeah. it's it's a recent thing that's come up but like the more depressing that I am aware that the world is the more I just like want to turtle into my little distraction you need escape for sure yeah yeah absolutely so I I find Mildred to be like a very fascinating cautionary tale. <laughs> I think of there's a bit of what Mildred. Could happen. Yeah, I think there's a bit of Mildred in all of us. I mean, why do you think everyone loves, you know, mindless reality television as well? Like mm. we do. We find, you know, the real housewives entertaining as hell, but that is yeah. mindless. So hey, I think we've all got a little Mildred in us. I yes. think, you know, what's your distraction of choice though is ultimately yeah. what it comes down to. When does that distraction mm. go too far where it turns in to more than a distraction and you're just, you know, living in this numb state. <laughs> the cautionary tale of Mildred, that's where she's at. She's like, these, these parlor people are my, my whole world now. They call, she goes and calls them family. Yeah. Yeah. She basically gives up her relationship with her husband in exchange for these like fake friends fake that friends. she has in the walls. So yeah. like nothing else matters. She doesn't like have any interest in guy part of in her society. marriage. Yeah. In yeah. her, she has, she brings over two friends and then doesn't ask her friends about their lives or their children like it's strictly they talk about other the, people's lives <laughs> just the tv show people the tv lives. show yeah yeah mm-hmm. it's it's fascinating she is the polar opposite of what guy eventually wakes up and becomes you're right because he he's woke um <laughs> yes I think in the Mildred versus Guy discussion, like, Mildred is like, you know, does she know that she's numbing herself, or is she so far into this culture and mass media, and is she so mm-hmm. far in that she doesn't even see a way out, she doesn't even see what she's done, and then Guy, who kind of, like, wakes up a little bit, is like, like we've said, the other end of the spectrum, where he thought he was happy, and then, you know, Clarice drops the question, he's like, oh, man, I'm really not, so mm-hmm. the frustration that he feels around Mildred and, you know, her friends, like, he's like, I'm waking up. Why aren't you guys? Why aren't you guys? And the reality is like that reckoning alone, even the fact that Lisa Marie, if you felt connected to Mildred, the fact that you recognize that you might be Mildred is yes. reckoning within yourself. Yes, like, there's you're, all, your, you're already not you're a Mildred. You're already a step above. Congrats. <laughs> yeah. like, you you know, guys make me feel a little better you know, about feel myself. Better. Yeah, exactly. We're just here to you make you appease a little bit. But like, mm-hmm. no, guy is like, yeah. I've woken up. Why are y'all are still asleep? oh my God, your husband's going to war to one of the, you know, friends that Mm -hmm. Mildred's talking to that he's like, no, I know your husband's going to war. You don't want to deal with that? And she's like, please don't read me poetry. I'll feel something. Like, absolutely. (laughs) Like, keep the feels away from me. Mm -hmm. So I think Guy and Mildred are the two polar opposites of this world here that we're dealing with. Well, the other interesting thing about this society too is like, like within the first couple, within the first chapter of this book, he comes home from a shift, you know, setting shit on fire and he knocks over here. He runs into a pill bottle. His Mildred has literally like overdosed accidentally or is it accidental? I don't know. That's mm-hmm. up for discussion, but it yeah. sounds like when the guys come to pump her stomach, they're like, ah, happens all the time. She'll be fine. Mm-hmm. Like, they're not even doctors doing the blood transfusion. They're literally, literally just two people that have been hired, like two PAs have been hired into this <laughs> position being like, I'm going to do COVID tests now. I'm going to draw blood now. We'll figure it out. It happens all the time. Super easy. For the happens people, all yeah. the time. For the people so listening do you th- who don't work in production. Oh, that's yeah. a production assistant, not a physician's assistant. Yes. Very, very <laughs> different between the two. Yes. So do you think, like, when it comes to Mildred, do you think that Mildred is making a choice to be like distracted or do you think that she doesn't know any better to just live in her own little bubble 
You go, go for it. I think she's too far gone at this point. I think at one point it was a choice and anybody who's wanted to numb themselves, I think after doing it for so long, you no longer see the other way. So I think for Mildred, maybe at some point it was a choice. And then, you know, whether it was like all the stimuli and she was like, you know what, I'm out, this is easier. I don't think you see a way out at that point. So like, you know, you posed the question, was it intentional, mm-hmm. intentional suicide or was it just numbing gone too far? At some point that line gets so blurred. It's like, you know, I think maybe Mildred was I think aware so. and now she's no longer, she's, she's a, I think she didn't care either way. I think it was, if I die, I die. And if, you know, someone says, if I, you know, yeah. wake up from this fine, cause the next day after having her stomach pump, she doesn't even remember it. And that's not alarming to you that you, that you OD'd and you're, <laughs> you don't want to seek help for that. And she's like, oh, I must've just accidentally like just completely glosses over this yeah. almost dying. She's a shell mm-hmm. of a human at this she point. She, there's nothing, there's no substance mm-hmm. to her. I think like maybe at one point it was a choice, but I think the culture has let her to be less than. Yeah. Yes. And I think that's what comes out. So how do you think that Guy didn't end up like Mildred? Like, what were the steps to not go to, like, a Mildred level of numbness? Well, obviously, since he's a man, right? We've oh, decided. yeah, absolutely. <laughs> he's a white male, so he's, uh, you know, intellectually superior there already, as long as we can lay that baseline, for sure. Um, I think because he was burning books, he's kind of uh, detached from the problem, but he also is, he has to face it every day. Yeah. And once he learned that books are, people die for them. There's, you know, mm-hmm. the Clarice, like the introspection there. I think him being so close to the fire actually is what made him kind of different from Mildred, where like he had to deal with that mm-hmm. introspection every day, whether he was aware of it at first or not. He became aware of it because of that. Yeah, he didn't get to, like, forget that books existed like Mildred mm-hmm. did. He saw them every day. Exactly. I think his job, like, led him to being slightly different in that respect, is that he was the one, you know, creating this world. And I think at some level, like, you know, you can't ignore yeah. when it's you doing it. I think that's a really mm-hmm. good point. I think his profession absolutely helped lead him to that fact. D- did that work for everyone? Obviously not. But, no, mm-hmm. yeah. But I think that's where Clarice comes in, where, like, mm-hmm. have you ever met somebody, like, I personally, I don't know if I have or have not, but, like, he meets <laughs> this girl for 10 minutes, and she's like, are you happy? And he was just like, wow. Mind blown. Yeah. <laughs> I never thought about that. I mean, it was too, like, surfer to tie for the first time. I was like, yeah, I'm not. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> like, I would love to see that world. Yeah. Mm, yeah. <laughs> So do you think that world is something that we see today, the world of like um, constant distraction or just like over stimulus? Yes and no. I think mm-hmm. uh, living in, and I'll just speak for America. <laughs> I can't speak to <laughs> other places in the world, but I think in America, we've got the option. Um, you know, yeah. you can you can tune in to CNN or you can tune in to... <laughs> <laughs> the, the real Kardashians. Yeah. Exactly, the Kardashians. So, and and again, I think it's a balance. I think people like to be able to shut off their brains for a little bit. And I think some people also obviously really enjoy healthy discussion, like maybe mm-hmm. on a podcast with their two <laughs> friends. So <laughs> I think we have it at our fingertips in today's day and age where we get to choose and make that choice. And I think it's dependent on the individual, the, the balance between the two of those things. Yeah. I think the reckoning 
is hard on an individual level and it's hard on a societal level. So I think the choice is absolutely there. Mm -hmm. And I think whether or not we're strong enough to look inside ourselves and see like, I have a real issue with this part of me or, you know, like my, here's how I'll put it. I distract myself when things get tough or if I don't want to deal with the reality of, you know what, you're just not working hard enough. That's easier. <laughs> let's, let's think about the easier thing for a little bit. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? So like that's, but that's the, that's the choice that we're all making on an individual level. And then as a society, I think that plays out where it's like, I'm either part of the problem or I can learn to be part of the solution. And I think you choose a side, mm-hmm. whatever is mentally, you know, easier for you. And I think, you know, if you're willing to put the work in, you'll get more substance out of life. And that's a personal opinion, but I absolutely Mm -hmm. know people who enjoy and just seem to be at a constant state of unhappy. (laughs) And and I think that's, that's your choice. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Uh, That didn't really make sense, did it? Well, the state of unhappy is like, if you're not willing to look at change to change to happiness, then you're going to, the distraction is you get to complain all the time. And the distraction (laughs) is like, woe is me. Like, mm -mm." you know, that's a form of distraction as well. Do you think that not dealing with your thoughts and feelings means you're happy or it just means that you're not dealing with it? I think as somebody who likes to, who's a Pisces, who's a a Clarice by nature, um, I think not dealing with your thoughts and feelings is, um, you'll never learn, right? So like if you are upset for some reason and you don't know why, like deep down there, whether you can recognize it or not, there is Mm -hmm. something that's triggering it. And Mm -hmm. I think like you can ignore that, but if you don't take the time to really like recognize what's going on within yourself, I think you address it and address it. I think Mm -hmm. you lose like the substance and the, the why of life. You're just kind of going through the motions, but I I don't think you're mm -hmm. happy. I think you're masking it. I'm, Mm -hmm. I'm very good at compartmentalizing, but it comes to a head Mm -hmm. if I don't address it and it comes out Mm -hmm. in in not healthy ways. (laughs) I think we're a little guilty of that. I always think of like, I have a coworker that he calls it his bubble. So anytime that you talk about like the pain of others or like something that has to do with like politics, he's always like puts his hand up and he's like, I don't want to know, like I live in my bubble. And I'm sure that that is fine for him. He goes home to his wife and his kids and you know, that's fine. But like at what, at what expense Yeah. yeah. What do you live in your you. bubble? Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. that's the other, to, just to talk on the privileged view here, I think the book makes a, a reference to it once, but we're living in America, right? Like yeah. a, a not so far just in America. And America is like a first world country. Like we always joke around first world problems. Literally. So it's a privilege to numb yourself. Yeah. Um, it's a privilege to, to be able yeah. to afford the distraction. Like if mm-hmm. I can't pay for my cell phone bill or for cable, I'm not watching NFL network on the weekends and I'm not <laughs> scrolling through my Instagram feed in the weekdays because you know mm-hmm. what? I can't afford to. And all I have is the reckoning of, can I pay my next bill? This book mm-hmm. does not explore the underprivileged society and what a privilege yeah. it is mm-hmm. to numb yourself. Mm-hmm. And that's fascinating yeah. because, and they talk about it on a, a country base, like in one sentence, like it's literally a one sentence being like wealth affords the privilege of numbness. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If you are not in a position where you can afford distraction, let it be those, you know, parlor walls, let it be your cell phone yeah. bill, whatever it is, no offense, but you have to deal with your problems every day. Mm-hmm. And that's genuinely where like, I think you can make the distinction and you can numb yourself, whether it's, you know, substances or good for you, bud. (laughs) Some some people are just trying to get by every day and every day is like, uh, they have to deal with it. And it makes you 
I, it makes you a stronger person for sure. But sometimes mm-hmm. you don't choose that. It's, it's brought upon you, but it's by circumstance. Yeah. Yeah. So coming from our experiences, Bradbury warns that the books represent individual opinions, while Captain Beatty says that individual opinions are the reasons the books had to go in the first place. Do you think that making people uncomfortable is enough of a reason to hold back your opinions? Katie? I think in a lot of ways, Beatty's not wrong, right? Like the more eyes on something, the more that people are consuming one topic, the more people are going to get offended. Like the more opinions you have to kind of like navigate your way through. So like in that aspect, Beatty's not wrong. Where Beatty and I disagree is the discussion is worth having versus the ignorance is bliss mentality Mm -hmm. where Beatty's like, you know what? Burn it all. Let's yeah. just get everybody on the same page. No big deal. <laughs> You're never going to make everyone happy. Yeah. yeah. You're never going to make anyone happy. I'm confident mm-hmm. we are offending people as we speak. Yes. <laughs> like, you know what? Good. Have a discussion. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Mm-hmm. You know what? I'm, your, I'm world doesn't, your world doesn't expand. You don't grow, I think, as a, as a person if you're not exposed to other people's opinions whether it's, you know, Katie and I have differing, like we read the same exact thing completely different ways all the times. And being able to have like that discussion about it and go, huh, I never thought about it that way. Like that just makes Mm -hmm. you grow as a person. I don't think that gets to happen everywhere. I think it kind of is on you how actively you want to Mm -hmm. seek out other people's opinions. So I feel like social media, that's why you love Twitter Mm -hmm. so much. Like Twitter's great, but to be fair, I follow a lot of female liberal writers. And Mm -hmm. so like my Mm -hmm. feed most likely aligns with my already sought out opinion. Mm -hmm. If I wanted to really engage, I would look for the other side and then find the compromise, the middle ground Mm or my own thought on what's going on based off of, okay, this is how I feel. These are all the like-minded people feel. Here's the other side. Here's how they feel. Mm -hmm why do they feel that way? But mm-hmm. I think being willing to sink, like seek that out yeah. is, is growth enough Absolutely. or like not mm-hmm. enough, but it's, it's growth at least. So good on you, Montag. I think in our culture today, uh, mm-hmm. just like an example of, you know, PC versus not PC is like, yeah. let's bring it back to comedians, I guess, because mm-hmm. that's, you know, what it's I what we know. That's what we know. Like, <laughs> just what mm-hmm. we know. Unqualified yeah. in a lot of ways, but you know, I follow yeah. a lot of comedians, so I'll, I'll talk on my behalf of their behalf. Um, <laughs> the white comic male that is like, oh man, like I can't make any jokes anymore. Everybody gets mm-hmm. so offended. I'm like, um, but all you got to do is be more clever. And if you're not yeah. that, maybe you chose the wrong profession. So it's just like, oh man, everybody's so offended. And it's like, no, people are rightfully offended when <laughs> yeah. you're making rightfully ignorant statements, like, not rightfully yeah. ignorant, but like blatantly ignorant yeah. statements. Like yeah. find a different angle, learn the discussion, engage mm-hmm. people in a way that's funny. That speaks to your like skill as a comedian, by the way. Yeah. That's your whole job. That's your whole job. Yeah. <laughs> Your whole a job. place of darkness like we all yeah. are very aware that comedians are masking pain, mm-hmm. pain. i would say it's like the <laughs> trauma biggest pain there is it's a yeah mm-hmm. it's you know i'm speaking for my yeah <laughs> but i feel like my favorite like my favorite like male comedians are people who like tell self-deprecating stories about like something funny that happened to them and then they moved on from it there was no like making fun of different people or groups of people there was no stereotypes involved it was just like let me tell you about an experience that I had wasn't this weird wasn't this funny have you ever had an experience like that if you have laugh at my joke (laughs) (laughs) if you 
have laugh at my joke. All right, back to the book mm. a little bit. So let's talk. Let's talk about the ending because I don't know about you guys, but I was expecting a more depressing ending from a yeah. semi-depressing book. And when the book ended with a random bomb going off and then like a glimmer of hope that mm -hmm. people were out there and they had read all the books and there was a society of people who were going to fix and change things. I was like, huh, twist ending. I thought this was going to be, I thought this was going to be like, and everyone died. Wash my hands of this book. So <laughs> to be what fair, did all you, of the dystopian books we've read up to this point have- legend. Everyone dies. Yeah. Wash my hands of this book. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> also not an original genre. Um, yeah, <laughs> so, so what did you guys think of the way that this ended? Where did the fucking bomb come from? So I'm curious. <laughs> I knew there was a war going on the whole time. I did Y'all did not seem to. I Were did not you pick up. Distracted by the book. Uh, Probably. Mine. They mentioned jet planes a bunch in the book, and I thought the jet planes were just like planes. Like, we have planes. That doesn't mean that there's an atomic bomb coming. Because, like, Burbank, people yes, are going yes. from Philly to LA. I didn't realize that it meant the world was ending. So yeah. I think that, like, it was subtle. It was very subtle. Very subtle. And I missed it. And so when the bomb went off at the end, I was like, huh, weird turn, weird turn of events. My, my thing was just like, you know, I hope you guys do a better job because clearly <laughs> someone let this world get to this point. <laughs> Mm -hmm. And now you guys have to start all over again. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. To me, it just felt like, well, now we got to try, try again. <laughs> so Clean I slate. See that start over. Completely different way. <laughs> of course. So Naturally. I, I was very aware that there was a war going on the whole time because our audible narrator. I'd love to know his name off the top of my Did head. Did they make helicopter noises? Well, he got very <laughs> animated every time, like, a jet plane was coming overhead. I was like, why is my volume so loud? Why are you screaming <laughs> mm -hmm. at me? And every time I was like, is it a hyperbole or is it a happening? And it was, happen it was happening. He does get very, like, like, his volume and intensity went up so that you felt like, oh, my God, something is happening. But I think he, he maybe overused it. And so I was like, something's always happening. I don't know what the jet planes are doing. <laughs> I felt hysteric more times than one. I was like, should I feel this way? He made me yeah. anxious for no reason. Yes. Sometimes I felt very anxious when I he read. I felt very anxious reading it. He though. cried helicopter a lot, huh? He did. He, the wolf or the did. helicopter. Yeah, he cried yeah. hound for damn sure. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know. Were you hopeful at the end of that? Honestly, as a, as a fan of Fight Club, <laughs> and I be so bold. So, two rules. Yes. There are two rules. You don't fucking talk about it. And two, uh, Fight Club has a very similar ending where they bust the credit system to build it new. As somebody who mm -hmm. has debt, obviously this is appealing to me. But <laughs> um, that's just weird. Left, okay. Honestly, like I think you know, that's called bankruptcy. <laughs> I think you just declare it, right? I've seen The Office. <laughs> I declare bankruptcy. I think you just declare bankruptcy, and then you're you're free, and then you're good. <laughs> yeah, you're good. Uh, I've done it multiple times to no avail. But I'm still, but <laughs> shout louder. I think you know, from a Fight Club perspective, you even mm -hmm. the playing field. You've you've got this phoenix rising from the ashes trope. Me and Lucy mm -hmm. Maria are from a town called Phoenixville. Yes, <laughs> I very much relate to this trope. We burn a a bird. You do yes. every year, every and not year. a real one, but a, a pyre of a bird every mm. year to represent this. But anyway, yeah, look I it up. The, it's interesting. It's interesting. <laughs> look it up in your own time. Yeah, yeah. Join us usually December sixth. Um, <laughs> but I think this whole network of people 
that are like-minded, that want to bring knowledge forward so that we can learn from the past is important. And the sense of community over an individual is very much the way to move forward and the very much the way yeah. this network operates. And I think, yeah, burn it. But like, yeah. burn the people that don't want to know. Let's get the knowledge back. But they I think we're forgetting about one key thing here, guys. Who what? dropped the bomb? Does not matter. It no does, matter. though, because what if the persons responsible for dropping the bomb are also of the no books? persuasion you know what lauren don't overthink this all right i'm gonna leave bye guys (laughs) (laughs) you're making this too complicated get the fuck out okay it's weird because like the society itself like in this book you learn nothing about the government you learn nothing about the police like you don't know anything about this war this these people you don't know anything about like is it america on an island that can't read books or is it the whole world has has adopted this so like they don't like, it's one of those endings that's like, decide for yourself, which is my least favorite ending <laughs> in the whole world. <laughs> Somebody's but, like, I want you to tell me exactly how I'm supposed wrap to Wrap this be- up in a bow, <laughs> goddammit. So, <laughs> but it was one of those endings that's like, listen, yeah. you're going to have to figure it out for yourself. Do you care about the bomb or you care about these, like, guys that remember Ulysses, the book, and, and it's they'll build up like from these, there. where we relate to Mildred. <laughs> like, just We're tell us like, what to think, guys. Right. <laughs> See, my Mildred is coming out there. There she is. <laughs> Still the most shocking part of this podcast so far. Oh my like, gosh. Oh yeah. man. Yeah. Lisa Marie's the least numb of all of us. Like I'm sitting here with a white claw in my hand trying to numb my own feelings at the moment. Like, like, come on. I feel like it's important to say that like I spend a lot of my own time reading about the world and then when I'm left alone with my thoughts. Yes. I'm uh, like, please, please let me hide in a bubble. Agreed. So, I'm someone mm-hmm. else. I can't turn my brain off at night. Like it's too quiet and my brain takes over. So I need mm-hmm. to have TV on literally to fall asleep. I don't know what it says about me, but I fall asleep immediately. Like, you could sleep during night. this atom bomb, my dear. Like, I just, she's, ugh. What a peaceful way to go for you. Right. That's Honestly, straight I wouldn't know shit. any of the wiser. Like, okay. I, but knowing her luck, she would yeah. survive it. She'd not only sleep <laughs> through it, but she'd wake up and be like, where is everybody? <laughs> if anything, I'd be pumped. I'd be like, the zombie apocalypse is finally happening. And I survived. Let's, like, <laughs> yeah. I'm waiting for this room. moment. I've been ready for this moment. I've been training. Let's go. I've got a plan. Like, mm-hmm. Guys, I, all right. All right. Who dropped the bomb? They basically tell us that the government is so messed up that people have been like, y'all handle this on your own time. <laughs> I'm going to see what's going on with the crazy clown, which by the way, they need to get better shows in this world because oh, yeah. I think they were called the white clown. That clown. Yeah. Made- all their Bradbury did not have high expectations for the quality of television, which I will say in that one, he got wrong. There's great TV. So. <laughs> we do have good TV. Yeah. yeah. We have some trash TV, but we also yeah. have some great TV. Mm. Agreed. Yeah. And it does sound like the people that were left were more empathetic. Like those gentlemen, they find him in the river and they bring him in and they're like, come join our little club of, yeah. So like professor. they're welcoming, they take care of people. It sounds like this group of people left was more of a community built on like empathy rather than a community built on like, I hope you don't die in a car accident. See you later. That makes sense that they would be the people that would be left to like bring the place out of the ashes. I think even the fact that you're using the world or the word community to describe these people says a lot. I mean, we didn't, I mean, mass media society, we're like using all these blanket terms for everybody that's, you know, choosing ignorance over bliss, but the word community refers to like communal and just like, you know, everybody over the sole individual. And I think that's what is really important Mm -hmm. moving forward for that. Mm -hmm. 
you know, for that world, but also for us moving forward is like, we're not taking it. We understand that individualism. Yeah. It's important to have individual thought, but to the betterment of the community, mm-hmm. hopefully. <laughs> that's yeah. And I think that's what like Bradbury wanted to warn us about in this book was that like you become a community based on like knowledge and building on knowledge, not on not paying attention to the world and the people around you. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What book would y'all want to be, you know, sole keeper of? Ooh. If it's you right. were, yeah. No, that's a tough one. It is a tough one. Mm, I feel like the only one I'd be able to like memorize would be like Harry Potter 7. <laughs> but like, I don't know how well that's going to help society. <laughs> Actually, right? well, it's good versus evil. Book seven. And you're book five. <laughs> I, I like book five, but if I'm, I'm going to read you my answer, let's say Tina Fey doesn't choose her own book. Mm-hmm. I think Bossy Pants would be the one I would naturally just that is a memorize one. moving forward. So if Tina doesn't want it, I'll take on the burden. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'll read that one again. Yeah. And yeah. I pick Fifty Shades. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> there's knowledge in there somewhere, too. Oh, God. I hated that. Yeah. Anyways. Uh, Really, the the last book I remember like impacting me um, was Kite Runner. To be honest with you, uh, I just remember that being such a prolific and profound book, and just being mm-hmm. like that was kind of one of my first like, huh? Not everything is uh, <laughs> not everything is like it is here. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, there there are other places in the world that are not experiencing the same thing you're experiencing. So maybe mm-hmm. not getting to. Mm-hmm. Have a 1 a.m. curfew really isn't that bad, Lauren. High school, Lauren. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We're communally able to contribute to our new society. Absolutely. We'll, we'll form our Maybe own. I can get all the Harry Potters and then we'll just stand in a line. Is it hilarious that none of us chose any of the classic books we've read so reread so far? I'm assuming that somebody who wanted to read these in high school already chose. So I'm just, <laughs> yeah. you know, piggybacking letting them have it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, You're how, welcome, guys. How nice <laughs> <I'm laughs> of you. Somebody else choose the Scarlet Letter. <laughs> yeah, no scope oh. on that one. <laughs> Stay with us. We'll be right back with Lauren's word of the book. Moving into the last part of our episode, as you probably can tell from this conversation, Katie and I listened to this book via Audible, but Lauren went old school and she read the book, which would make Ray Bradbury very proud of you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, love so, sound. You hear that sound? He loves the yeah. smell of books. Slipping of pages. Yeah. He brought it up. Yeah. So <laughs> Lauren, why don't you teach us some vocab that uh, will improve our lives. All right. So uh, on, on my version of the book, uh, page 128, the word is limbed, L-I-M-N-E-D. Then if he wished, Montag might rise, walk to the window, keep one eye on the TV screen, open the window, lean out, look back, and see himself dramatized, described, made over, standing there, limbed in the bright small television screen from outside, a drama to be watched objectively. What does limbed mean? Illuminated. Katie? I'll be honest, that was a long sentence to get. (laughs) (laughs) I caught the last part. She said, limbed in the light of the TV. Okay. So, I mean, I illuminated, like, you know, brought to, brought to light. uh, So illuminated. Illuminated. Yeah. I kind of agree with you where it's like, you know, the focal point is on you Mm -hmm. in this instance. Is that right? It's close. It's it's nothing it's to better do with that we should tell us that we 
Yeah. <laughs> we've ever got. Yeah, yeah we've got a lot of worse answers. So. <laughs> it's not much to do with illumination, but limbed is to draw or paint on a surface to outline in clear, sharp detail. So I would argue that illumination helps details with details, correct? I appreciate the credit that you're giving us. I was going to say, I think uh, <laughs> that sentence was very long and I went, God, I hope this ending of a sentence has a lot more context. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, so <laughs> two practical use sentences. How appropriate. <laughs> Is it bad that the first place my mind went was limb me like one of your French girls, Jack? <laughs> Paint me like one of your friends. We got the Titanic <laughs> reference. None of us are questioning the. T- I think we're questioning the sentence on that one. Yeah. Um, and then I was like, try harder, Lauren. So, um, <laughs> so I went back to the drawing board. My other one was, um, I don't know if you guys saw this, but Kimberly Jones, uh, her Monopoly analogy in relation to Black Lives Matter and the lack of real change since the Civil Rights Movement perfectly limbed the history of racism in America. Not so much illuminated the history. No, I get it. I get it. Yeah. yeah brought spotlight to isn't it appropriate yeah. that in a book about burning and sun and all like luminescent references lauren which mm-hmm. you limbed which has nothing to do with illuminating <laughs> is it illuminating a problem is it bringing spectacle to a certain thing is it shining a light on something i think maybe we've gleamed the concept here <laughs> great 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 <laughs> i can't sorry. wait to use limbed in my real life there you gonna go. Gonna go out to the kitchen and just say something with the word limbed in it to Steve. Steve's gonna go, huh? <laughs> Leave me alone, on. I'm cooking dinner. He's <laughs> like limb, like your arm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, we all immediately went into like the robot arm. Where just, like, I was like, yeah. I can't see it, but <laughs> let me limb some light on that for you. Mm-hmm. What's, uh, what's our next book, Lisa Marie? Well, thank you for listening and reading along with us. Join us next week where we discuss the worst love story in the history of love stories, The Great Gatsby. (laughs) Bold, off-the-cuff take. Wow. Can you tell I have opinions already? (laughs) (laughs) All right. See you later, guys. All right. Bye, guys.